Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell and you're listening to episode 39 of the Popecast. The only podcast about popes for people who love history but don't have the time or the interest to pick up dry, dusty history books. Once again this week we want to give a quick thank you to our sponsors over at Catholic Balm Co. Listeners who either have illustrious beards themselves, like yours truly, or have a loved one with a luscious mane may know their popular beard balms and beard oils, but they've just released a brand new product, the fittingly titled Petra Solid Colognes, a line of all-natural solid colognes, perfumes, and aromas that are custom blended and handmade using the best ingredients. Uh, Plus, not only are the guys behind Catholic Balm Co. itself some of the finest I know, but I personally have been using their beard balm for going on five years now, Uh, And then plus, all the proceeds go to fund important Catholic youth ministry work all over the world. So either hit pause now or make a note for after this episode. Go get some for you and a friend at catholicbalm.co. That's catholicbalm.co. And enter the word pope at checkout. Fans of the podcast get 10% off their entire order. So once again, that's catholicbalm.co and the word pope at checkout. Thanks again to Catholic Balm Co. for sponsoring the show. And now... Onto this episode. It's finally here. The episode so many of you have all been waiting for, and this is just part one. Our Pope this week is one of the finest men, at least in my opinion, to ever grace the chair of Peter. His life was one of unimaginable suffering, having been under the thumb of both the Nazis and the Soviet communists at different points in his life. A Renaissance man, he was equal parts philosopher and poet, exercising the head and the heart with unrivaled passion. Losing his earthly mother at age nine, he's perhaps best known for his devotion to another mother, God's mother. This is the story of his early life. This week on the Popecast, it's the 263rd successor of St. Peter, the Pope who destroyed communism, St. John Paul II. Now, of course, the life of John Paul II uh, can fill and has filled dozens, if not hundreds, of books. So even if we did 20 installments on this great sainted pope, we couldn't do him justice. But that said, just one would never be enough. So this episode on John Paul will cover his early life in Poland as a boy and young man. This is just part one in a series we'll be doing over the next several weeks on the life of St. John Paul II. So strap in and invite your friends to come along with us. Carol Joseph Wojtyła was born on May 18, 1920, in the town of Wadowice in southern Poland near the city of Krakow. He was the youngest of three children born to Carol and Amelia Wojtyła. Jason Everett, in his excellent book, St. John Paul the Great, His Five Loves, recounts the story of his birth. Quote, on the evening of May 18, 1920, parishioners of the Church of the Presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary gathered to sing evening prayer. Across the street, 36-year-old Amelia Wojtyła was in labor at home and noticed the sound of hymns in honor of the Virgin Mary emanating from the church. She asked her midwife to open the window in order for the songs to be heard. Amidst the sacred music, she delivered a son, Carol Joseph. Sadly, suffering would become something the Wojtyłas dealt with more than most families, even families in wartime. Carol's sister, Olga, died in infancy before he was born six years prior. When he was just eight years old, before he had received his first Holy Communion, Carol lost his mother 
to kidney failure and other complications, and barely three years after that, Edmund, his older brother, a physician who Carol affectionately called Moondeck, would die of scarlet fever after contracting it from the patients he was caring for. The death of Edmund, John Paul would recount in later years, almost affected him more than it did his mother's death, given the few additional years of maturity and the time that had passed. His papal biographers wrote of their relationship, quote, The two of them could be seen dribbling a soccer ball between them through the streets of the town in the summertime, or he would carry Carol on his shoulders through the fields by the Scava River. He took Carol on his first long hikes into the mountains, sharing his passion for nature and outdoor exercise. He taught him to ski. For Lolek, Carol's nickname, Moondeck Edmund was a refuge from depression. So from age 11 on, it was just Carol and his father. To deal with their profound grief and the physical emptiness of their apartment, as Jason Everett recounts, quote, the two pushed their beds together and slept in the same room. Every morning, the two attended Mass before school, and again prayed together in the evening, often reading the Bible. End quote. John Paul would later say this about Carol Sr. Quote, My father's words played a very important role, because they directed me toward becoming a true worshiper of God. And then another time, quote, After my mother's death, and later the death of my older brother, I was left alone with my father, a deeply religious man. Day after day, I was able to observe the austere way in which he lived. His example was, in a way, my first seminary, a kind of domestic seminary, end quote. Dang. All you dads out there, take note. Carol was called Lolek by his friends, as we mentioned earlier. Considering that Carol was the Polish name for Charles, or is the Polish name for Charles, Lolek then was the Polish equivalent of the nickname Chuck. His early loves as a boy mostly involved soccer and spending time with his friends, spending time outdoors, in addition to serving daily mass at his nearby parish. Wadowice was at least one-third Jewish, and though anti-Semite sentiment was popular in Poland at the time, Carol was unbothered, having been taught well by his father. In fact, when soccer matches were often divided into Jewish and Catholic teams, as was typical, when the former was in need of an extra man, he would happily volunteer to play goalkeeper for the Jewish squad. Carol Sr. could see plainly that his son was very bright, having excelled in elementary school and graduating the top of his class in high school. So the pair ended up moving to Krakow and living with Emilia's two sisters in 1938, when Carol was 18, in order for him to attend the famed Jagiellonian University. He went on to study languages and Polish literature, and ended up apparently learning as many as 12 languages, along with several lesser-known dialects. He was fluent by the time he was Pope in nine of those languages. Polish, of course, Latin, ancient Greek, Italian, French, German, English, Spanish, and Portuguese. No big deal. (laughs) It was also during this time that Carol took up an interest in theater and poetry, hobbies that would become unimaginably important for the preservation of Polish culture barely a year after his move to Krakow. It was then that the Germans invaded Poland, 1939. And in the years thereafter, he and his friends would form the Underground Rhapsodic Theater, a group that sought to keep Polish culture and folklore alive through acting in those dark days. The Nazi occupation caused thousands of Poles to flee east from Krakow, often taking cover in ditches to avoid fire from German Luftwaffe airplanes, only to have to turn around 
after walking 120 miles to avoid encountering the Soviets, who had invaded Poland from the opposite end of the country, as the Germans barely two weeks later. The Jagiellonian University was promptly suppressed by the German occupation, along with most every other aspect of normal life in Krakow. But around that time, Lolek met his spiritual mentor and longtime friend, Jan Tiranowski, a layman who introduced the future pope to Carmelite spirituality, which would have an effect on the rest of his life, though specifically the works of St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. Tiranowski was a tailor who had himself experienced a profound conversion as a layman one day at Mass, when the priest, while preaching, reminded everyone present that sainthood, holiness, was not just for priests and nuns, but a calling for every person. His witness was no small matter to John Paul. In fact, a priest and seminary friend of his later credited both of their vocations to Tiranovsky, saying, quote, I can safely say that if it wasn't for him, neither Wojtyla nor I would have become priests. End quote. High praise. He's now on the road to sainthood himself. During the same time, the Germans required all able-bodied men to work hard labor, so Carroll worked at a rock quarry two miles from home in order to support he and his father. Though it was hard labor, and in the bitter Polish winters, Lolek would coat his face in petroleum jelly to avoid frostbite on the two-mile trek to and from work, Poles looked out for one another and ensured that the students among them were taken care of and had the lightest workload. On February 18, 1941, Carroll returned from the quarry and entered his father's room to bring him his medicine for the day. But he noticed he was laying in a strange posture. Upon trying to lift Carroll Sr., he realized that his father had died, leaving him an orphan at just 20 years old. Lolek wept bitterly as he held his father's lifeless body. The family that Carroll eventually moved in with, noted the growing intensity of his prayer life amidst the grief, saying, quote, he went to Mass every day, he prayed a lot in his room, and he lie prostrate, end quote. Another source of solace for him came as a result of a new job at a chemical plant the following year. His new factory was just a few hundred yards from the grave of one sister Maria Faustina Kowalska, better known to us now as St. Faustina, the visionary and mystic who gave the world the message of divine mercy. Carol would visit the grave often, having developed a devotion to her as her message and the vision she received spread and grew in popularity around Poland. Throughout the ensuing decades, he considered the sharing of divine mercy with the whole world to be a special task given to him by God. He would say to a friend decades later at a banquet following her canonization when he was Pope, saying, this is the happiest day of my life. Two years following that, in 1944, Lolek nearly died after being hit by a German truck while walking home from work. Inexplicably, the Germans themselves stopped and cared for the unconscious young man who was bleeding from the head, arranging for him to be taken to the hospital where he would be forced to stay for two weeks, recovering from numerous cuts, a shoulder wound, and a severe concussion for even months thereafter. And he would say later, as George Weigel wrote in his fantastic biography, Witness to Hope, that the accident and John Paul's survival was a confirmation of his priestly vocation. Not six months later, the Gestapo would sweep through Krakow as a result of the Warsaw Uprising to try and round up and kill all young, able-bodied men to avoid a similar rebellion there. Carol amazingly managed to stay hidden beneath the basement door in the house that he was living as the Nazi secret police raided it. 
He then escaped to the archbishop's residence, where he stayed until after the war. Later, as Pope, John Paul reflected on the great blessing of being allowed to live. Sometimes I would ask myself, so many young people of my own age are losing their lives. Why not me? Today I know that it was not mere chance. Amid the overwhelming evil of the war, everything in my own personal life was tending towards the good of my vocation." The Prince Archbishop of Krakow, the heroic and renowned Adam Stefan Sapieha, who came from a noble Lithuanian family, hence the prince before his title, had created a secret seminary in his own apostolic palace, despite the Germans not only forbidding new candidates for the seminary, but actively rounding up and executing a full one-third of Poland's priests over the course of the war. Uh, You might well know that the great St. Maximilian Kolbe was one of those. Though he was from then on effectively living under house arrest, his days of hard labor were over, and he was finally free to study in relative peace. A quick note on Archbishop Sapieha, the man who directly formed Karol Wojtyla into the priest and spiritual father we all have uh, now come to know, himself lived a far more powerful witness than any words he could have possibly spoken. From feeding the German governor general Hans Frank stale black bread and beetroot jam when he came over to the apostolic palace, to Sapieha living a life rooted in deep and abiding prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. He was the embodiment of the ages-old tradition that a bishop was and is the defensor civitatis, the defender of the city, defender of his people. George Weigel notes in that same biography that from Sapieha, Carol, quote, absorbed a heroic concept of the priesthood. End quote. And in fact, long after his death, and after he had, and after uh, Ololek had succeeded his mentor as Archbishop of Krakow, then Cardinal Wojtyla commissioned a statue of his mentor in 1970, depicting him standing, wearing a simple cassock with hands clasped in prayer. And so, Lolek resided in the Archbishop's residence with several dozen brother seminarians for six months, until in mid-January 1945, the Soviets liberated Poland from the Nazi stranglehold. Jason Everett has the story. Quote, Carol was praying with the other seminarians in the chapel of the archbishop's residence when all the windows burst as the retreating Germans blew up a nearby bridge. Archbishop Sapieha ushered the priests and the seminarians to the basement where he continued praying the rosary with them amid the sounds of guns and tanks. The men huddled in the dark, frozen room until after midnight when they heard a knock at the gate Russian soldiers were checking for Nazis and hoping to find some food and vodka in the process. The next morning, the city streets were flooded with Poles celebrating their liberation. Everyone's jubilation was soon tempered by the realization that six million friends and family members would never be seen again. But any delight around the liberation was short-lived, of course. The Poles soon realized that they were simply trading one tyrannical government for another. But... Lolek's seminary studies continued apace, and on November 1st, 1946, in the Archbishop's Chapel, surrounded by a small number of friends, Karol Wojtyla was ordained to the priesthood. He was 26 years old. So to keep things at a reasonable length here on the Popecast, we'll cover John Paul II's priesthood and episcopate on the next episode, but for now, as we always like to do at the end of these stories on the Popes, uh, we like to share a quote from the pen of the man himself. And in this case, John Paul recounts the meaning of his ordination to the priesthood, written in his vocational memoir, Gift 
and mystery. So here's John Paul. The one about to receive holy orders prostrates himself completely and rests his forehead on the church floor, indicating in this way his complete willingness to undertake the ministry being entrusted to him. That rite has deeply marked my priestly life. Years later, in St. Peter's Basilica, in the very beginning of the Second Vatican Council, I was thinking back on that moment of ordination to priesthood, and I wrote a poem. I would like to share a few lines of that poem here. Peter, you are the floor that others may walk over you. Not knowing where they go, you guide their steps. You want to serve their feet that pass as rock serves the hooves of sheep. The rock is a gigantic temple floor. The cross a pasture. When I wrote these words, I was thinking of Peter and of the whole reality of the ministerial priesthood and trying to bring out the profound significance of this liturgical prostration in lying prostrate on the floor in the form of of a cross before one's ordination, in accepting in one's own life, like Peter, the cross of Christ, and becoming with the apostle a floor for our brothers and sisters, one finds the ultimate meaning of all priestly spirituality, end quote. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we hope to see you back for round two on the great St. John Paul II. A quick couple of requests for you before we go. We always love getting reviews on iTunes, and we'd actually like to give a shout-out to a couple of Canadian listeners who left reviews for us on Canadian iTunes. Um, thanks to KJ Yost and DJ007 for uh, two five-star reviews. They're very kind. And we're grateful that you listen. Uh, If you have a minute and you haven't already, please feel free to uh, leave a rating and review of the podcast. Doing so, make sure just that uh, even more folks can find and listen to the show. So again, we're very grateful uh, to all of you listeners and all of you who have done that so far. And secondly, if if you'd like to help us continue producing these episodes, you like what you're hearing, consider joining us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the podcast. The podcast will always be free to listen to, of course, but it is not free to produce. So anything um, you'd like to uh, contribute is greatly appreciated. Patrons get early access to every new podcast episode and then, of course, receive an exclusive podcast sticker as well. Plus, folks giving it higher tiers will get extra bonuses like uh, getting to ask a question on a future episode picking the popes we do for future episodes and even some popecast swag like mugs and shirts so check it out if you haven't already at patreon.com slash the popecast and then lastly of course thanks to rebecca our newest patron and a longtime popecast superfan and lastly you can find us on social media facebook instagram and twitter at the popecast so as we close this episode we ask for the intercession of pope saint john paul ii for strengthening a family life in our world and for a growth in the virtue for both physical and spiritual fatherhood. Until next time.